If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome in. DMVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or go online to mygreensolution.com. Make sure you use the promo code DNVR20 to get 20% off your entire purchase. Let's jump into the show. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And yes, DJ, from our comments here on the Facebook Live, the beard is back. Uh, it's uh, it's back in full mostly here, uh, 21 days into the month of November. Got a lot of things, kind of miscellaneous things going around the world of baseball that I want to talk about, but I also wanted to uh, take your questions. One thing I'll try to avoid, unless it's just what's on everybody's mind and it it does look like you guys have some other ones that are great I can get into right away um I'd like to talk about the minor league stuff with Patrick Lyons Uh, I've missed him and it's been entirely my fault that I I haven't been able to get together with him and have that conversation about um you know the constricting the the getting rid of uh potentially here the the proposal to get rid of some minor league teams I also want to go over some news with him about the players that were protected and the MLB Pipeline's most updated list of prospects. So if we can, let's leave off conversation of all of that stuff for tomorrow or the day after when I can get together with Patrick and and get into some of these questions, like this one from Eric who says, our roster's expanding to 26 players this season. I've seen some articles saying they are. If so, what should the Rockies do with that spot. I'm 91% sure that this is the case. I didn't know I was going to get this question, obviously, so I I always want to double check and research those things. This is when it's always nice to have Patrick sitting right there to double check things for me, or, or he can go and research it as well. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. If it is, uh, I think the Rockies can do a lot of interesting things with it. They already do carry the eight-man bullpen. I'm not sure they'd need to get Uh, Another pitcher, though it would be tempting to just carry another one with all of the issues they've had, Uh, especially it'll depend on, you know, who's around on the roster at that time. I do think it'll allow them a a little bit more flexibility off of their bench and for them to maybe carry a guy who's a bit more of a a stick first, a a bat-only guy, which the Rockies really haven't been able to carry And the only times in their history where that's been even slightly viable 
are, are when those bad only guys are just extraordinary, right? Like Jason Giambi, like that works. Otherwise, with the restrictions in the National League and, and all of the pitching challenges and how long games can get at Coors Field, you need your guys off the bench to be able to do multiple things. With this extra, for one, I think it makes it less likely, for example, that the Rockies would entertain trading Charlie Blackman. And it allows them to, for example, if Brendan Rodgers or Garrett Hampson have a really hot spring and Ryan McMahon continues to look like he's the guy and Daniel Murphy just continues to look meh, well, that makes it a lot easier for you to put Daniel Murphy on the bench and not feel like he's a terrible guy to have on the bench because he might actually fit into that category uh, of a Giambi type. He's going to put together a quality at bat just about every time. Um, he really does do a good job, even in this last season where he wasn't great of um, not swinging at pitches outside the strike zone very often, swinging at strikes, making contact, uh, putting the ball in the air as opposed to on the ground. He does all of those things very well. He could serve as a decent guy off the bench and and you have more flexibility to do that if you have five guys on the bench instead of four so i don't think it'll be too exciting in this first year uh, i do think teams are gonna sort of figure out how to make the most out of that uh, as it as we go along here adam says is there a specific trade target you think the rockies should go after considering their financial restraints uh, i tend not to have super specific trade targets. Um, you know, I, I tend to be more of a general idea of what would be the best type of thing to do. And so I think moving, for example, a young position player for pitching, <laughs> like I, I, I wish, I'm sorry, I wish I could be a little bit more uh, specific than that. But, uh, you know, that no, there's, I'd have to look around a little bit more at who's been in the rumors, who might be available for the Rockies to trade for. But I do think young, I, I think pretty much all of their young position players from Garrett Hampson and Brandon Rogers and Sam Hilliard, some of the lesser known commodities, but who still have a lot of value on them, especially a guy like Brandon Rogers, it's got to be on the table. In a vacuum, it's not a great idea for the Rockies to necessarily move on from any of those guys. They can start next season with all of them, and that'd be a good idea. But I think if you're worried you can't get pitching through free agency, which seems pretty likely, then you could target, if somebody dangles whatever starting pitcher, for example, one that's come up to me a lot, and I, I wrongfully, again, Patrick had to, Remind me that Eduardo Rodriguez is not a free agent. People keep bringing him up because I think the Red Sox have said they'd entertain training him. And the Rockies have had interest in acquiring before. So, so there's a natural fit there. And so that could be something you do. What would it take? Does that take Brandon Rogers? If so, you know, to me, that would be a last resort type of thing. That would be after you've really explored the, the free agent market and made sure that guys like Roark are, are off the board. Uh, completely. Uh, I, I don't think you want to start trading Brendan Rodgers. Now, if you're feeling really good about Hampson in the outfield and Hilliard as depth and, and maybe even Hilliard in the outfield and Hampson as depth, uh, do you enter tra entertain trading Rymel Tapio? You know, we've talked about these things. So if for me, it's, it's a lot harder to say there's a specific guy that I would target because you never know what other teams are really willing to trade. You never know exactly what they're looking for either. You know, some teams might value Brendan Rodgers very differently than others or Sam Hilliard. Sam Hilliard's one of those guys who one team might think of as like, oh, we could get that guy and we'll make the most of him and we see him as a potential all-star one day. Another team might see him as a throw-in as part of a deal. Like there's a very wide range of potential feelings about guys like that who are kind of on the verge of the big leagues. 
so I think if a team bites and really decides that they want to treat them like a top prospect and they would give up a, a, a big thing, yeah, the, they have to be open to doing that because ultimately they've shown an ability to get good position players out of their system over and over and over again. And they've had a harder time having this consistent pitching. And while I still think there's a decent chance that a lot of the pitchers they do have have better seasons next year, there's plenty of reason to want to buffer that. Um, so Jake asks here on the Periscope, main focus, catching or cheap pitchers? I, I would go with cheap pitchers for sure. Now, I absolutely understand why Rockies fans are interested in adding catching. Yasmani Grandal off the board today, and I, I think everyone recognizes that the Rockies should, under no circumstances, be paying a catcher $18 million a year, which is what the White Sox just gave to Yasmani Grandal. Uh, would that help the offense if they acquired a guy like that? Sure, but they're, that's not the issue. As we've seen, they've, they've got to get better on the mound. That has to be priority one, two, and three. That has to include starters. It has to include relievers. It has to be a full-on, full-out attack to make the Rockies better on the mound. And if you're going to acquire a catcher, that has to be a part of it as well. And so while Grandal grades out really nicely in like framing numbers, which by the way, I'm very dubious of, there's just a lot of things that are wonky about framing numbers, which includes the fact that they can very wildly from year to year. Uh, he's not a great blocker, uh, but in general, I don't know that he's the guy to bring in for the Rockies staff. I think there are other catchers out there who are much cheaper, who are more aimed at getting the most out of your pitching. I've brought up Jonathan LaCroix a couple of times. I think he's someone you can get for 20%, 30% of what the White Sox just gave Grandal, and, and he's a better fit for what you need. Does he help the offense as much? No. The, the Rockies' offense next year is going to need to come from primarily guys they've already got. If people are hoping for an offensive savior in the offseason, I, I think you are, you're going to be... Uh, very disappointed by the end of the the winter. I Now, I do think that they could add guys who might make an impact. And I've talked about some of them who, who might come cheap. Uh, a Scooter Jeanette, a Joe Panic, um, those type of... Even a Luke Croy, I do think if employed properly as a right-handed catcher to, to balance Tony Walter's left-handedness, if... I think those guys as a platoon could make the catcher a, a, a more valuable offensive position next year. There's a couple other candidates who could fit into that as well. But ultimately, your offense is powered and will continue to be powered by Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, David Dahl, Ryan McMahon, Daniel Murphy, if he's still on the team, and, and that is is something I do think we could very much, you know, get into a conversation about again and and look into that because that's somewhere where they could shake things up a bit. If they can move out Murphy, they could bring in an impact position player, either at first base to replace him, at second base, or just kind of generally around. Uh, they could go with their own internal guys. They could trade. I, I still think, again, to go back to my previous point, that the best idea would be to trade Daniel Murphy and whatever you save in money, you spend on pitching because I like Ryan McMahon at first base. I like Brendan Rodgers and Garrett Hampson battling it out for second base with the other one becoming an all-around utility slash guy off the bench. Like To me, that's a really quality position player setup. With Brendan Rodgers in the lineup, like, and I know a lot of people aren't thinking about 
Raj, maybe I should do my next. I I, I sort of got off the the train of, um, my my solo individual podcast about each player, and a couple of people requested Rogers. He'd be a really interesting one to do next, and I can kick that David Dahl can down the road a little bit more. Um, because I I understand why the feelings on Rogers aren't super high right now. There was a great article the other day in the Denver Post. Um, I, I believe it was Patrick Saunders um, detailing his you know road to recovery, and he's expected to be there. <coughs> Excuse me. I get that people, you know, a lot of people only watch the Major League Baseball product, and saw him for a couple of weeks. Didn't wow you, and that's it. And that's just kind of what you're left with. Um, but it is way too early to be forgetting about the extraordinary potential value of this young man. And he is the type of guy, uh, as much as just about anyone that it makes sense or would be likely for the Rockies to acquire this offseason, to emerge as a player who takes the offense to another level. I would make the same argument about Ryan McMahon in a different way. Now, Rodgers would do that by going from being a guy who really, for all intents and purposes, wasn't there at all, to a guy who's an everyday contributor. And that is by no means a stretch of the imagination. Had he not gotten hurt, I fully believe that by the end of the season, Brendan Rodgers would have everybody going, all right, great, looks like the Rock, maybe, you know, we'll find out whether or not he'll ever reach that top prospect shine stuff. That's always a question you find out later. We're still looking at McMahon, like just this last year, we're like, okay, there's David Dahl, the star that Drew was talking about in 2013. Didn't really show up till 2019. You know, the, it's it's tough, man. Major League Baseball's hard. Uh, but Rodgers is a guy who can be a huge impact player. McMahon is a guy who would not go from not in the picture to in the picture. He would go from in the picture to that fifth guy, really, we, when we were just going down. Now, your, your offense needs to be at least six guys deep in modern baseball. If you're going to win the division, if you're going to get the wild card, you can live with the other stuff. Your pitching and defense are great, but you need those six guys. The Rockies' first four are really, really strong with Arnado, Story, Blackman, and Dahl. If McMahon really does become the fifth and has the kind of all-star caliber season, I believe he can. That puts the Rockies with as good a starting five as almost anyone in the National League. We got to see how a lot of stuff shakes off, the, shakes out this offseason. So we're, you know, I'm kind of projecting forward a little bit here. But the general idea is that their their offensive impact players they, they do it. They, they don't have this with pitching. Peter Lambert. Ryan Castellani are very interesting candidates. And if everything breaks the Rockies' way in terms of starting pitching, or Jeff Hoffman figures it out, those are interesting candidates. But those are not guys that, at least that I believe, are in a position that are set up the way that either Rodgers or McMahon are to be a giant boost to their positions next season. Lambert's the one guy I could see doing it. But I I think you've got to be more prepared. You've got to have more of a plan B for that option. And as Jose Octavio points out here, we need pitching and no one wants to pitch here. And and, and you know, Patrick Lines has brought that up several times. It may end up being the case. Now, there have been a few holes in that theory over the last couple of years on the reliever side, and the Rockies have had to overpay. So are they going to be gun-shy to do that again? Yes, probably, almost certainly. I, I think so. I don't think they're going to do that. But, you know, it's not the worst idea in the world to overpay, but on a lower side, maybe. And and I don't know exactly what that looks like. If it means that the market for Tanner Rourke is $7 million and you give him 10 then do that. Uh, you, you know, but I, I agree. If, if it ends up being that everyone's just taxing the Rockies out, 
and the fact that you know they did shell out big contracts to Greg Holland, not huge contracts to Holland, to um, Wade Davis, Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, and those largely have not panned out. You know, are, are guys going to want to sign up for that? Uh, for a minute there, it looked like Holland and Davis had kind of switched the narrative of pitchers choosing to go to Coors Field. But, you know, oops. <laughs> so, we'll see what happens. But it may end up being that the Rockies have to trade. And it's one thing that I do think gets lost in the shuffle a bit. They can trade. They've got good young players, as you know, was the, the question going back here a little bit. What would I target in a trade? There's a lot of things that you can do because the Rockies have some good young talent. It's just a question of whether or not you want to move that for talent you feel like helps you more in other places or you want to count on it to be the difference maker for you in 2020. And it's a tough conversation. And I don't think that the Rockies or Jeff Breidich are going into this offseason with one thing in mind. That's what I will say that I think is good news for Rockies fans. I think there's a very flexible approach here where they're going to see what comes up. And if a particular pitcher says, yeah, I will sign with you, they're they're going to jump at it. They're going to say, all right, good, then we got our guy. They're not going to overextend themselves in that way, but they'll jump at any opportunity that happens to come their way. If that doesn't play out how they want, they'll, they will explore trading. Like everything is on the table. Let me put it that way. Other than a full teardown rebuild, as I wrote about yesterday, I, they're not going to do a full teardown rebuild. They're not going to just trade off Arenado and Blackman and Story and John Gray for prospects. That's not going to happen. Uh, everything else is on the table. Speaking of on the table, hopefully you've got some Breckenridge Brew on the table, the official beer of DNVR. You know it's damn good beer. Hope you you were drinking the Avalanche Amber. Uh, You can drink that all year round, really. It's an all-season beer. But it's vanilla porter time at my house. We are fully stocked up. We've got some snows out there today. It's perfect for that. It's also perfect to put in chili. If you're a beer and you're chili type of person, vanilla porter is really one of the best you're going to find for doing that, at least in my experience. If you're less of a beer person, but you still like your alcoholic beverages in the, the cold winter time, you prefer a cider, I cannot recommend the Colorado Core highly enough. No matter which way you go, as long as you're drinking Breckenridge Brew, you'll be drinking damn good beer. Hey, I wanted to share my thoughts on a couple of things. I will interrupt myself if anybody has any further questions. Um, Will, I did see the video of Pete Alonzo and Charlie Blackman catching a giant marlin. That was phenomenal. Uh, It was absolutely fantastic. You gotta love stuff like that. Of course, it's prompted plenty of back and forth from Mets fans wanting Charlie Blackman to go there and Rockies fans wanting Pete Alonzo to come here, and you would understand why both of those things uh, might be desirable for those fan bases. Can you imagine Pete Alonso at Coors Field? Um, But I did want to talk a little bit about my broken baseball heart, you guys. Um, So like I said, if you want to interrupt me with questions, please do. Uh, I'm more than happy to not talk about this. But... This sign-stealing thing really is is breaking my heart. And I hope, I hope beyond hope, that the commissioner, Rob Manfred, is correct when he came out in his comments yesterday, the day before, recently, saying that this is limited to the Houston Astros. Now, I'm not quite sure how he could know that. Um... Unless you've done a thorough investigation of all 30 teams in Major League Baseball, that seems a a, a bold claim to make. That unequivocally, now I didn't necessarily say unequivocally, and I'd have to read the words again. Maybe he, he very specifically said, you know, something, a very political thing to do, to, to say something like, 
this incident is limited to the Houston Astros, which would just be by definition true, right? Like that, like why even make that statement in the first place, if, if that's what you're saying? Yes, the very specific thing that the Astros did, which appears to be widespread and goes far beyond just filming some signs and electronically sending it and having guys bang on drums, like, having scouts in on it, having people develop systems, having GMs, and it, it's it's really, really bad. And the commissioner also said, and again, rightfully so, that some of the harshest of punishments are on the table. And they should be. Jake Story came on this podcast. Of course, he's a Yankees fan, and so when he said, you know, maybe Hinch should be gone from the game. I thought maybe a bit much, but the more stuff that comes out, just about how deep it went, how purposeful it was. You know, it's one thing if a couple of guys go a little bit rogue and get fancy and skirt the rules a little bit. That's not good, and you should probably get fined and lose some draft picks for that. But when you've got this organization-wide scheme, conspiracy to cover your tracks, to develop the best possible system, to steal signs and relay them in multiple ways, rather than just playing the game the way it's been played for 150 years, on top of Everything else that the game has had to go through this year, the juice baseballs, you know, and, and, and B.R. Carey says, you know, where do we draw the line between stealing signs and tipping pitches? And, and I think it has to be with the, you know, the advanced technology. If, if, if you see with your own naked eye that a guy's doing something every time he throws a particular pitch, that's good on you. That's you, the human. And and this is where I get to throw a phrase that's often used against me back at people, the human element. This is where the human element should matter. If you as a human can figure out what a guy is doing because he's tipping his pitches or you've figured out their signs, then good on you. That, again, has been a part of the game forever. But... Figuring out the other team's strategy in a way that would only be possible using advanced technology that allows you to decode, allows people who are not on the field, analytics guys at a computer in a back room somewhere, down in the, the space behind the dugout, that they can very quickly run through some algorithms to figure out exactly what the signs are. They can relay that to the ball players. And you can take out one of the most vital elements of the game. To me, that's just way, way, way over the line. That's not the human element. That's a, that's a computer taking out the human element of the game of baseball. So I, I know it can, it can seem a little messy. To me, it's pretty clear. You know, it's, as you mentioned, B.R. Carey, you know, is something the Patriots got in trouble for. You can try to look over there and see if you can figure out what they're doing. But as soon as you start videotaping the other team's sideline and using the technology, you're, no, 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 you're, you're not, you're no longer engaged in gamesmanship. You're cheating. As soon as the camcorders get involved, and the computers, you're cheating. And this is just straight up cheating. And the more I think about it, you know, Shoeless Joe Jackson and Pete Rose have been blackballed from the game of baseball for less. I don't know. Somebody asked me on the Denver Sports Podcast, I think it was our guy Brendan Vogt covering the Nuggets, if it was possible that the Astros might have to vacate the 2017 World Series. And I, I've thought about this a couple of times because I don't think so. 
I really don't think that that's going to happen. But I think it was fair for him to ask that question. I think it's fair. And look, nobody here wants me to say this to them. But you kind of got to feel for Dodgers fans in this situation. And the way the Astros were able to unload on one of the best pitchers of all time in Clayton Kershaw in that World Series. And so, should they vacate that? I don't don't know. But this is really bad. If they're found guilty, and and I'll say this to Jake's point. They need to make sure this never happens again. So whatever the punishment is, it has to be extraordinarily harsh. Because they did win a World Series. They did get to throw themselves a parade. A lot of guys did get a bunch of raises and get a bunch of money, and they're probably not going to... You can't get back any of the memories of all that stuff, right? You can theoretically, technically vacate the championship. But this is bad. And then, this this surprised me, actually. Uh, you know, now, now everyone's digging around, and like I said, I don't know... You know, how unequivocally Manfred can make the claim that nobody else in baseball is doing this. Because there's going to need to be more investigations. That's what I'll say. And there have been some. And some of them are just taking place out in the open now. Now everyone's overly scrutinizing everything. And I'll say, I should. Uh, Having not caught this earlier, having not policed this better, to some degree, baseball has brought this scrutiny upon themselves and people on the internet putting together videos of guys like Christian Yelich looking out to the bullpen before you Darvish steps off the mound. That's going to happen. Now, what's interesting to me about this whole thing is that the general consensus, the overwhelming consensus on social media seems to be that Christian Yelich got some great clap back on you Darvish because to back up a minute, here's what happened. Someone tweeted out video about uh, of an at bat between Darvish and Yelich, where they said Yelich's eyes dart out to the bullpen, and some people argue that bullpen catchers are oftentimes involved in the electronic stealing. Is what's going on? I think in Houston, that's one of the allegations. And Yelich, who could have just ignored it. First made a claim, or maybe someone made a claim on his behalf. I can't remember the first part of this, but it was that it actually happened like after Darvish stepped off the mound. Here's where things get really interesting. You Darvish retweeted this interaction and said, No, your eyes darted around before I stepped off the mound. In fact, that's why I stepped off the mound intriguing. Now, this is a fun, dumb, stupid social media thing uh, that has happened to me before. It's just one of those things that can happen. But Darvish, in a reply to himself, clarified that he was not accusing Yelich of cheating necessarily, of anything. He said, I'm not accusing you of anything. I just want to clarify the timeline. I did step off because your eyes were darting around. Messing with me, dude. But of course, Yelich probably didn't see the second reply. He saw the first one, which looks maybe like an accusation. Even though Darvish went on to clarify that's not really what he meant to do. Now, Christian Yelich retweeted what he saw as an accusation and replied something along the lines of, no one needs help to beat you, dude. And Twitter all, ha, 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 ha. Oh, man, did you see Yelich dunk on Darvish? And everyone got to see his numbers. And he crushes Darvish. And he puts up huge numbers against him. Uh, and those guys are division rivals. And so, yeah. Way to go, Yelich. And people were just... And I uh, I, w- I was shocked 
quite frankly, that Christian Yelich, who seems like a relatively smart, smart person, would bring that kind of attention to himself. Because what he did not say was, if you really thought you Darvish was accusing you of cheating, which he seems to have, the response of a totally innocent person, in my mind at least, would be to say, how dare you know that's not what, or, or here's what I, I was looking around to check the outfielder position, offer some kind of explanation, just that, to say, no, I'm not cheating, how dare you? What he, in effect, said was, I don't need to cheat to beat you. Which, one could very easily argue, implies, leaves open the possibility that he would need to cheat to beat a better pitcher. And there are a lot of things that are wrong about this. First of all, Hugh Darvish has been one of the better pitchers in baseball over the last five, six, seven, eight years. He has struggled a little bit more recently and has definitely struggled against Hugh Darvish. But it's a weird thing to claim that nobody would need help to get a hit off a guy who's actually been very difficult to hit for the most part for several, several years. But the other thing was, instead of denying what he perceived as an accusation, he simply implied that if he was going to employ a tactic where he was stealing signs electronically, he would need to do it against a pitcher who was better than you, Darvish. Which, the people are going to be combing through Christian Yelich's video now to see how often his eyes dart around to the bullpen catcher or any other number of other places, and he's brought that on himself. In fact, the fact that he puts up such phenomenal numbers against Darvish isn't the best argument against the fact that he may be stealing signs against him. Or, the, the, I mean, it even brings into question other things, like why wasn't Christian Yelich this MVP hitter when he was in Miami? What changed between there and Milwaukee? He did come into the prime of his career. Again, now, I'm not saying but this is what happens when somebody accuses you of a thing and rather than saying, no, 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 I definitely did not do that. You say, bro, I don't need to cheat to beat you. You suck. Like, oh, he went with like a, a jokey clap back rather than a denial of the accusation. And that's an interesting choice. And, and it could just be like, that's the age we live in. That's what people do. You dunk on people on Twitter. I just don't think it was a very smart thing to do in this. I, I, I think guys need to understand how very, very serious this is. These are serious accusations. And again, if this brings us back to the point. The reason to tell that story is to say, if Rob Manfred doesn't want guys joking about this on Twitter, MVPs and MVP candidates, top-level players making jokes on Twitter about cheating. Very, I mean, and, and this is the other thing I want to make clear. And I, and I know if you're listening to this, you, you probably do understand. But just in case you're newer to the game, you're a newer listener, or this is just one aspect of the game you don't get into as deeply. Is it that big of an advantage to know what pitch is coming? Yes, 100,000 times yes. The, the closest equivalent I could come up to would be knowing exactly what play the offense is going to run in the NFL. It does not guarantee you success, but it dramatically increases your odds of success. And no amount of mitigating the quality of the pitch. Don't be the person. Let, 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 me, let me just, I'll do this conversation quickly since I know most people listening to this are very well versed in baseball and you understand why knowing what pitch is coming is a huge advantage to the hitter and and doing it this way is unfair but uh, i i think well maybe that's not the the best way to wrap it up i was going to say something that was a little more controversial as i realized i was going to to phrase it that way um to know what pitch is coming and and to get at that 
through electronic fashion is to fundamentally undercut the integrity of the game. It is arguably, I don't know if you can say worse, but it would be more impactful to the game than paying off the umpire to not give the other team any borderline calls. Like that would probably have less of an impact on the game than knowing what pitch is coming. Even knowing what pitch is coming 70% of the time. So as I was about to say before, don't be the person who tries to negate the sign-stealing thing, even if you're not buying it. Don't try to negate it with the by pointing to the quality of any individual pitch. Say, so, oh, well, it doesn't matter that he knew the curveball was coming. This guy hung it. Bad curveball. Of course it got hit for a home run. No. It's fastball right down the middle. Of course he hit. No. There's no pitch in baseball not one that isn't way easier to hit if you know it's coming. And a hanging breaking ball, if you're geared up for 97 mile an hour fastball, will still mess you up. It's a huge part of the element. At least half of it, probably more than half of the battle is being right in a bit of a guessing game about what pitch is coming. So, I just want to remind everyone of that that's very serious. And so, I hope the commissioner comes down hard if they are found guilty. But I also hope that they don't, you know, and, and it could end up, who knows? I don't want to speculate. I'm going to start saying team names. That's not fair to anybody. Um, I... Honestly, I'd be a little bit surprised if it's 100% limited to the Astros. Now, I don't think there's anyone else in baseball who's going this far. And that's that's a that's an important differentiation. You know, I do think it matters that like, you know, are do some teams maybe have some guys with some Apple Watches and some tablets hanging around in some places probably, and they should be in trouble for that. And those people should be fined, suspended, uh, depending on the extent of it, maybe even themselves banned from the game. But when you are ordering and directing people throughout your organization to engage in something and cover that up because you know it's against the rules, that's why, and I'm not getting political here at all. I know there's like crossover or whatever. The law, I'm just going to say a law thing. That's why the law, obstruction of justice, exists, right? Because one of the ways that you prove that you're guilty of doing a thing, even if we can't 100% prove that you did the thing, is that you engage in a cover-up. Because people just don't cover up things that are perfectly above board. People don't cover up perfectly acceptable behavior. That's There's no reason to do that. If the Astros were engaged in something they saw as regular baseball gamesmanship of we all steal signs and we all do things they would not have gone to the extent they appear to have gone to to hide it. It's really, really bad, folks. I'll tell you what isn't really, really bad. That's spending a day down at Blake Street Tavern drinking Breckenridge Brew. I'm going to be doing that this evening uh, with our Denver Nuggets crew. They're going to be doing a live podcast. If anyone can make it down, I'd love to see you there. And it'd be great to, to have a little bit of a showing for those guys because it's something I'd like to do too is, uh, you know, do a podcast where some of you can come out live, talk with us, myself and Patrick, ask some questions. We can answer them there for you live, uh, watch some sports, have a good time. It's always great being out at Blake Street Tavern. Uh, they treat us really, really well. Uh, we're, we're on the works with them for some other special things coming up. So, so be on the lookout for that at our uh, DNVR events calendar. We're going to be drinking Breckenridge brews at all of these events. So make sure that you come out and join us. It's going to be a really, really good time. Uh, even if you're not a Nuggets fan, come out tonight. I'll sit and talk baseball with you. It, it, it'll be a good time, but I do want to support them in doing live podcasts. If we can make these a successful thing, it's something we, we will be able to do more and more. So, 
Um, <laughs> Sam says Houston should have to give the Rockies Altuve and Granke and have to take Desmond and Murphy. Anything else will be unsatisfactory. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, there, there you go. Why the Rockies in particular? Because uh, not. Yeah, I mean they're they're. They're in some real trouble, that's to be sure. Let, let's do close this out on uh, a little bit more Rockies talk. Uh, it looks like uh, I've got a few more questions in here or comments. Really, uh, it just looks like Adam's saying that he doesn't think the Rockies are going to do anything. Maybe a minuscule move like Mike Leake or Tanner Roark. I mean, I would argue, <laughs> easy for me to say, I would argue that Roark uh, is not a, a minuscule move uh i i could see that as being a very highly impactful move and in general i i think it's just the case that oftentimes players who aren't the big money free agency guys can be impactful and whether it was forced on the rockies because of their budget or not i think that was just going to be the way to go it'd be nice to get a high dollar starting pitcher but again there are just so many other concerns and issues that have come with that over the years uh and so you know if they had the money to spend on zach wheeler or madison Bumgarner or even garrett cole you know the big the big one would would garrett cole come to colorado and shove or would he come to colorado and fall apart and be the worst contract in all of baseball like they're either one of those things i could very easily see happening and I, I i understand why on whatever level their budget is the rockies aren't interested in in making those kinds of moves and you know if as i wrote yesterday this may all end up blowing up in their face i readily admit that i as most people know tend to be a little bit more on the positive side and think no as I've written a couple of times recently, you've basically got a 400-game sample size from the start of 2017 in through the first two months of this most recent 2019 season. About 400 games that time where the Rockies were the fourth-best team in the National League. There were something like 20, 30 games over 500. I have to double-check that. But they're well over 500, playing at a great clip. And an elite National League team, but really the best of the rest of, of the teams that are in, in the postseason every single year, all the time, no matter what, with the huge budgets and the star players, the team, the Dodgers, basically, is what I'm talking about here. And so then there's these 68 games that follow where they're basically the worst team in the National League. Over that time, other than the Marlins. And there are some folks who think the latter is more indicative of who they are. And I don't. I think the fact that Nolan Arenado was so terrible during that stretch uh, that they did lose pretty much all of their starting pitchers during that stretch as well, uh, it, it just... Everything fell apart all at once, and I don't think that that's totally sustainable. Especially the part where Nolan Arenado put up like a 70 WRC plus during this stretch of games that I'm talking about. And so, I do understand why people want them to make big, bold moves. But I think that that's just, it's just too early for that. If because the only big bold moves that are available to the Rockies to make right now would be tearing down to build for 2022 and 2023, and is that how long you want to wait to see competitive baseball again? Are you ready to punt on the era of Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, and Charlie Blackman? If you are, then okay, I I can understand that. I, I would disagree, but I would understand somebody. What I would the only thing I would say to that person who's ready to blow the whole thing up, is you can do that at the trade deadline. Make sure the Rockies come out in April and May and they're not playing well. Trade everybody. Fine. Blow it all up then. 
But there's no reason to do it now when you do still have this huge sample size of games where this general collection of guys played to the fourth best record in the National League. Over 400 games. Yeah, it's going to take a, a rebound from Kyle Freeland and, you know, having, I think, Oberg as your closer instead of Wade Davis is going to be a major difference that isn't getting enough credit for its possibility to change the Rockies' season for next year. And yes, they do need to make moves. I've been, I've been adamant that they need to make moves. I just think that these smaller moves are exactly the kind of thing that make the most sense to do because they can make multiples of them to give themselves insurance in a lot of different areas. So a Tanner Roark, Scooter Jeanette, Billy Hamilton. No one's going to be going, awesome, the Rockies are winning the World Series next year. But to me, that would be a very successful offseason. No, that'd be a pretty successful offseason. A very successful offseason would be doing all of those things and moving out Daniel Murphy or one of the relievers and bringing in another uh, reliever. Then you've gotten yourself a really good offseason. Because, and, and I, I don't know why it's not ever framed in these terms, or, or isn't often, I should say. I, I say it this way. I guess I've seen other people. But like, the Rockies do still have a core that is a 91-win core. It is the fringe pieces. That seems to be agreed upon, but like glossed over. Like the fringe pieces are so bad that they're just going to drag the Rockies down and destroy them. It's like, all they have to do is not play those guys so much. That's it. Wade Davis can't be your closer. Ian Desmond can't get 400 at-bats. Daniel Murphy. I, I think Daniel Murphy has earned another look. Like, people are out on Daniel Murphy way early. That's a super recency bias thing. Was he disappointing? Yes. Does he need to be better? Absolutely. Does his defense kill me, and is that why I want him traded off the team immediately? Yes. But if he's there, let me put it this way. I would take the over on Daniel Murphy hitting 300 next season. If he's there and healthy for the Rockies at first base, he's going to hit over three. He's a really good professional hitter. And it didn't show in every way this last year for the Rockies. There's often a first-year major adjustment to the whole Coors and Road issue that we've talked a lot about on this pod and has been talked about now a lot of other places as well. The Rockies can win 90 games around Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, David Dahl, Ryan McMahon as their core position players, and John Gray, Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland as their core starting pitchers. I am not speculating that they can win 90 games with those core eight. I watched them do it. I'm 100% sure they can because they have. No, that that, that doesn't mean that they will. There there are a lot of, I'm not saying that a lot of people say, oh, the, the lot has changed since then, Drew. Yes, a lot has changed since then. And that's why the Rockies need to do things to catch up to prepare for the possibility that they don't get the rebounds out of the guys they need. To better their depth. But Tom, I I totally agree. The weaknesses were the Valleca, Desmond, Davis types. It is, Valleca's not on the team anymore. Davis isn't the closer anymore. And I think that the Rockies are not going to play Ian Desmond as a starter, unless he gets really hot. He's going to get his starts, and he should against lefties. He crushes lefties always this last season. Every, always, always, all the time, he crushes lefties. Until he stops, play him against lefties. But maybe not any of the other times. They do that. They've taken a position of weakness and turned it into a position of strength. It's the same thing with Scott Oberg over Wade Davis in the closer role. That, and that's a hugely important position. 
I'm learning a little bit about hockey now, and I feel like Oberg taking over as the closer instead of the setup guy is like when you, you if, if a team had a year where their goalie had a really down year, but the backup goalie had a great season, emerged at the end, looks fantastic. Like this happened, I think, to the Avs recently with Philip Grubauer, who's now the starter. That's a huge difference when that guy takes over a, a very important key backbone position, which is what the closer role is, and that's Scott Oberg now. Whatever Wade Davis ends up being, whether it's on the team at all, pitching junk innings because he still can't figure it out, or recovering and working his way back to being a setup man, He's not going to be in the position to lose you games in 2020 the way he was for the first half of the 2019 season. And Wade Davis was solely responsible for the loss of several, at least 10 key games. Of course, the bigger thing there is, is the Freeland stuff. But this is the right path. I understand why people want a big move to make up for a big deficit. 71 wins back to 91 wins. You're trying to add 20 wins. You're trying to find players that are going to add 20 wins to the, whether that's 20 war or however you calculate it. And I don't think that that's quite the position that the Rockies are in. I do not foresee Nolan Arenado having the worst month of his career coinciding with the worst month in the history of the franchise again next season. I don't see that happening. I don't see the Rockies at some point during the season playing with 0% of their projected opening day starting rotation. I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I do not foresee the Colorado Rockies who were one of the better teams in the National League for 400 games being more like the team they were when they were at their absolute worst than the team they were when there were a lot of peaks and valleys and ups and downs and issues that they came through and in and out of and dealt with, with a lot of these same problems on the roster. Ian Desmond's been there through all of it. Jake McGee has been there through all of it. Getting rid of those guys isn't the answer. Now, it could help to find an answer, and I know it's what's coming from the Rockies and people don't want to hear it and people think it's, you, you know, there are some people out there on Twitter who think I'm, I'm parroting what they're saying, but this is my fundamental 100% true belief that the Rockies will win games with their guys, those eight guys that I mentioned. If they, if they, I'd really like to make it nine with a, a veteran starter out there. Some people don't think Rourke's that guy. I'd be more than happy with him being the ninth on there, but... Gray Marquez, Freeland, particularly, I'm going to be higher on Freeland than other people are right now. I'm taking the over. That's fine. I'm more than fine taking the over on Kyle Freeland. I do wish the people, and, and I'll conclude with this, I do wish the people who are most negative about the Rockies would admit that it has to come down to that. I think a lot of people want to appease the part of the fan base that is extremely frustrated at the bad season right now by throwing fire on all of the parts of the team that are easy to throw fire at, but they don't want to draw the ire of people, maybe rightfully bear quite a bit of love for the hometown guy in Freeland or just belief after a really good 2018 season and a pretty good 2017 season. That again, like the team, he's more of the guy that he was in 
the 400 games than the 60 games. But if, if you're going to be honest about the Rockies' inability to compete, it has to begin with a belief that Kyle Freeland is not going to even become an average pitcher. A league average pitcher. Because if, if Kyle Freeland becomes a league average pitcher, then the Rockies have above average guys at one and two, a league average guy at three, giant question marks right now at four and five, some young guys who could emerge. And again, this is why I keep coming back to the pitching thing. This is where I would be at. You get Roark to be, he's at the absolute worst, a solid four or five guy. And then you have a gigantic battle between the young dudes of Hoffman, Lambert, Castellani, et cetera, et cetera. Sanzatella. There is talent there. But if you're trying to compete out of the gate, and they should be, you can do it behind Gray Marquez, Freeland, and one other solid guy. If you're counting on solid guy to be one of your own, you're you're rolling the dice. It's not impossible. Don't love it. You get one solid guy. Team gets interesting in a hurry. An offseason of Roark, Lucroy, utility, veteran infielder, interesting reliever, probably lefty, because McGee doesn't get lefties out. Sam Howard's out of the organization. Now, James Pazos, he's your leader for, for Lugie right now, but it just gets really interesting at that point. That's not... I just don't see that as a bad baseball team. So I really do want to remind everyone that that falls apart in one place. It, it really does. If you think Kyle Freeland can't be good now, because then the Rockies do only have two starting pitchers and three giant question mark spots, and then and then they probably can't compete with that. That's true. That's, that's accurate. That's probably a, a 78 to 83 win team if Kyle Freeland isn't good anymore. I just want people to admit that that's what it comes down to. Because if he is good again, there's no reason they're not right back in the wild card conversation. You don't have to be great. If they want to win 91 games, he needs to get back to being a, a one or a two, probably. But if they want to win 85, put themselves in a position to win 88 and challenge for that wild card. And I know a lot of people want more, but that's way better than the season we just went through, right? then, yeah, that's what it takes is for Freeland to come out and pitch to a 410 ERA, pick up 170 innings. Not 285 like he did in 2018, a 410. It's a doable number for Kyle Freeland. And that's why, for me, I'm just not freaked out about the team. I think, you know, if you think he's going to put up an 8 ERA again, yes, they're screwed. I agree. I just don't think that's likely. And I think it's a bigger linchpin in the conversation than a lot of people are, are willing to make it. Probably because they know that there is a level in which Rockies fans just aren't ready to give up on this guy, which, I, which is the correct intuition. You shouldn't be ready to give up on this guy. Way too early for that. All right, thank you all for listening in, asking questions today on both the Facebook Live and the Periscope. Hoping to be doing that more and more as we go through the offseason here. Been down at the office a lot lately uh, doing some video stuff. We got a lot of fun, fun projects, easy for me to say, coming out soon. So hopefully you've been keeping up with all of that. Uh, we have an Instagram, which I never really do anything with. I know Patrick has tried to do some stuff with it, but the DNVR Instagram, you can find all the video stuff there course on twitter uh wherever else that we're putting these things out I, I think we've put some of the video stuff up we've got a youtube channel now make sure you go and subscribe we're trying to grow that thing uh i've been learning a lot of stuff about the nba and the nhl by just letting the dnvr youtube channel play through a little bit i did a little rant about the juiced baseballs that you can find there so make sure you uh, check all of that stuff out that you're subscribed to dnvr 
that you're following us on Twitter and all the social media and all that good stuff. You know how to do it. You know the spiel. You're drinking Breckenridge Brew. You're going to be joining us down there at the Blake Street Tavern for a live podcast any day now. So thank you for continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. Okay, who wants to make some money? Everybody wants to make money, and the easiest way that you can add a few bucks to your wallet is Denver's newest travel hack. Drift shares locally owned cars with incoming travelers at Denver International Airport for a better experience than car rental. Skip the chaos to save on time and fees when you book. Or you can share your car to earn and park for free while you travel. Plus, there's no under 25 fee rule, so it's perfect for friends coming to visit. Drift is great if you're going home for break and perfect for extended travel like a semester abroad. Allstate Insurance covers your car every trip and Drift cleans it inside and out. That's right, even if your car isn't rented out while you travel, Drift will still clean your car upon your arrival. Get all the info on drivedrift.com. That's drivedrift.com.